The third sorrowful mystery, the crowning with thorns. The fruit of the mystery is moral courage. The crowning of the thorns of our blessed Lord's sacred head is an important thing for us to reflect upon, especially in light of the reality of our world today. In the, in the history of sacred art, it is often the case that, that the crown of thorns is, is depicted as a, a sort of small ring, uh, a small crown of a few strands with some little thorns on it, so they're placed upon our Lord's head. And, but it seems more historically that, uh, that it's supposed that it was more like a cap that, that was not, not just around the sides but also on top uh, that this would be shown. Uh, the only place I've seen this depicted is on the front of uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori's Meditations on the Passion of the Lord, where it shows a kind of fuller image of the crown. And indeed, it seems a reasonable thing as well. And so our Lord was crowned nonetheless. He received his corona, the crowning. This crown that's, that is placed upon him was in mockery of him, not in veneration. We know that our Lord is Christ, King of the universe. He is the creator of all things and by whom all things are made and sustained. But the people of that day, his persecutors, did not understand these things, and they crowned him to mock him. Placing the crown upon his head, they then put a little reed in his hand to make fun of him as if it were a scepter. They bound him or they covered him in, in a purple cloth as if he were a king. And they gave him the salutation, Hail, King of the Jews. A front, of course, for the regular uh, offering of Hail, Caesar, that would be given to the Caesar. And as Hail, King of the Jews, was spoken to our Lord over and over again by those who would be his persecutors that day, he was struck on the face. He was slapped, spat upon. And they would cover his eyes and strike him to try to play games with him, to say, Who is it that struck you? If you are who you say you are, you should know these things. You should be able to tell us who it was. It would be understandable of our Lord if he at that time had summoned the host of heaven. We know that at any given moment, and he himself mentions it in the Passion, that if, that if he willed it, all of heaven would be present there in that very moment to mow down, so to speak, all of his persecutors to rescue him from the reality of the mockery. He could quickly have been the fulfillment of what the sons of thunder, James and John, wanted to happen on that day when the Lord himself was not being respected previously. And they simply turned, <laughs> turned to him and said, would you like us to call down fire from heaven upon them? Let us consume them. All of this the Lord could have done. He would not even have had to, spoke, to speak a word he would not have to make a single gesture. He could simply have willed it, and it would have been. But he did not. He bore his trials with firmness of conviction. He persevered in the pursuit of the good of the cross that in the end he knew would ransom us for the Father's house. In all of this, he was able to conquer the human fear that arose within his heart and to be able to save us. This is moral courage. This is the fruit of the mystery of the crowning with thorns. Moral courage is a firmness in time of trial. It is constancy in pursuit of the good. And it is being enabled to have victory 
over fears. We know, of course, physical courage, courage that we might see in in the reality of war or violence, where someone may step in to be able to preserve another's life. Whenever one may go out into a storm to be able to save another, or to go into a flood to be able to rescue those who are in need. This physical courage is an important courage for the world. It is demanded of us at various times to be able to do that which is good and true in the moment, even at the danger of our own life. But there is another attack upon the world that is far more dangerous, that just does not kill just the body, but seeks to kill the soul. And of this our blessed Lord told us, do not be afraid of those who can only kill the body. Be afraid of those who can also kill the soul. In so many words, it is to be afraid of, to be aware of the moral danger in our world. Because in places where there is the the fact of our physical death, heaven can still be ours. But where there is a spiritual death, where there is a moral death, where we die in our soul, where we die and are unable to be in the life of God because of sin, it is there that it is a more tragic death, this one being the more serious, the one we ought to fear, lest we fall away from the Lord and be cast away from Him forever into the depths of hell. It is for us to fear these things, to understand these things, and thus to persevere in pursuit of the good, to have moral courage, and not simply a moral conviction quietly abiding within our hearts. On the engaged encounter weekends that I, that I work in our diocese doing marriage preparation with couples uh, soon to be married, we do a, a, a little activity called values and ideals. It's a short thing to demonstrate uh, the difference between values and ideals. And there's a variety of examples that we will use, but one of them will be something along the lines of, if, it is, if, if you believe that, that people should, that everyone should exercise with some regularity, we should exercise a couple of times a week, raise your hand, right? And 90% of people in the room will raise their hand. You know, most people will genuinely believe that, you know, exercise is good for us. Right? We've been told that by our doctors and by our TVs and health education, you know, for all the years. So we know that exercise is good, you know, well, you know raise your hand. And then the question is put, how many of you actually exercise two or more times a week? And the vast majority of the hands go down. And you say, well, this is the difference between ideals and values. It is an ideal that everyone would exercise. It's a value if you yourself are actually willing to take the cost and to do the thing. And the same applies in the realm of our morals. Many of us know what is right and wrong. We know what is the good. We know what we must do or not do, what others must do or not do. And yet, sometimes we won't act upon it. Sometimes we may know it and still cower in fear on account of what may happen. What's the consequence? What's the result? An inability to persevere in doing the thing ourselves, so as we simply fall away and give in to sin, give in to believing the lies of the culture and espousing them. And the difference between conviction and action in that sense would be moral courage. It's the thing that tips the scale in the opposite direction and enables us not simply to believe something or to be convicted about something, but to overcome the trials, the fears, and to pursue the good that it is, to actually do it.
It's the importance of moral, moral courage for us. Because the fact is that we need moral courage, especially in our world today. There's a book entitled From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. It's the world that, that we live in. The book simply stating the fact that Christendom is dead, and we need to understand this. Now, when we say Christendom is dead, we don't mean Christianity is dead. We don't mean the power of the faith is dead. Certainly, that would be foolish to even believe such a thing. What it does mean is that our culture is no longer informed by the truths of the faith. It's the fact that, that our culture at one point that one could go out in the world, and even if one encountered people who were not Catholic, people who were not Christian, people who were just general individuals in the society, lacking any faith whatsoever, it was a time in Christendom when it would be normative that they would still have similar beliefs as the Catholic faith taught, because it's what the culture gave. The culture upheld goodness. The culture upheld virtue. The culture promoted these things, and it was normative to be in, in kind of in that line, in that vein of belief. And it was a simple thing that it was easy to be kind of Catholic in a culture such as that because the world around you was so much Catholic as well. But Christendom, we would suggest, is dead. The, cult, the Catholic culture all around us is no more. Even if you're in Catholic Louisiana, South Louisiana, we still have the Baptist, we'll still have the rosary, and they'll still call me Father, and we'll still have a variety of Catholic things all around us, St. Such-and-Such Parish and St. So-and-So Street. There are many senses in which our Catholic culture has, has died, even here. This is not something that's happened that's new. It's not something that just because of the rainbow parade that has happened in the last decade or so, that, that everything has gone, has gone south in just rapid speed. Certainly it has, but this does not mean that Christendom was okay in 2010, but not now. Archbishop Fulton Sheen said that Christendom is dead when it was in the 70s. It was then already that he saw very clearly that the culture is not our culture anymore. It is a worldly one, a secular one, an anti-Christian, anti-Catholic one in so many ways. And so if we are to live our Catholic faith, it will cost us something in the world. It will cost us friendships. It will cost us family. It will cost us uh, notoriety in the world. It will cost us people liking us or accepting us. It will gain for us persecutions mockeries, revilement. It may cost us a whole variety of things and gain for us a variety of crosses. And we must have moral, cor moral courage to bear it and to continue to pursue the good, the truth, and that which is beautiful, which comes from God in this scenario, especially in our culture. Unless we think that this is something, something new for us, that everything was well in the church for so many years, and then now it's all just kind of gone off the handle. Remind you of a few things that our blessed Lord told his disciples and the apostles gathered around him. At the very beginning of his ministry, in the fifth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, in the midst of the Beatitudes, he told them, Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. 
elsewhere, speaking to his apostles, he said, I send you out as sheep among wolves. He reminded them that, do you think that I came to bring peace? No, but the sword. Going on then to explain the fact that houses would be divided against one another. In a house of five, there will be three against two and two against three. Fathers against sons, sons against fathers. Mother-in-laws against daughter-in-laws, daughter-in-laws against mother-in-laws. Their faith will divide. And in the end, lest we be discouraged by these realities, it is for us to remember the words our blessed Lord also spoke to us. If they hate you, remember they hated me first. If we are hated by the world, if we are offensive to the world, if we are a thorn in the side to the world, good, we are supposed to be. If we get revilement for standing up for the truth, good, it means you have moral courage. If living your Catholic faith costs you something, blessed are you. Your reward is great in heaven. This is what Jesus told the apostles. Peter, in the midst of all of this, looking at the costs of things, looking at the, at the weight of, of the burden of, of living, living this faith that he knew would be a great difficulty in so many ways, he said, Lord, what is it that we will get in return? We're always looking for what we get back, right? All of us want to get something out of the deal. God himself is not enough for us. We need some kind of extra return in this world. The Lord says, whatever you give up, lands, homes, wives, children, father, mother, whatever. Whatever you give up, you will gain a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. What our Lord did not say was, it doesn't cost that much. It'll be fine. It will cost us. And I think any of you have experienced this in some manner. We don't even have to be bold and zealous in, in promoting some kind of strange thing, that, you know, some kind of really contrary teaching of the faith. We have to stand up for just ordinary things. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. Who would have thought you would be persecuted for saying such an ordinary thing? And yet, this is our culture. Christendom is dead, but we are not. The faith is not. The faith is as powerful as it has ever been. It is the roaring lion that is able to defend itself perfectly well we need simply side ourselves on the right team. And this, it takes moral courage. It takes our willingness first to know the truth, to know what is good, to know what is beautiful, and then to do something about it, to stand up for it, to defend it, to speak for it, and most importantly, to live it. And so as we offer this Holy Mass, as we come to celebrate these mysteries, we reflect upon this, this mystery of the crowning of the thorns, I pray that the fruit of it will continue to increase within us, this moral courage, that we might be able to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that is so much needed in our culture today, to be able to lead many souls who are lost in the darkness, to lead them to Christ. And we praise God that we may have the courage to do so, to persevere through the trials, to persevere in seeking that which is good, to overcome any fears, so that we too may gain souls for Christ.